0: This is Media at Risk, a podcast from the Center for Media at Risk at the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. My name is Richard Stupart and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the school. The COVID-19 pandemic has come to define much of the experience of 2020 and even as we've had to rely on media organizations for information, they themselves have had to cope with profound challenges to business as usual. In this episode, we talk to journalists from newsrooms in South Africa, Nigeria and South Sudan about how the COVID-19 pandemic has altered the work of journalists and the structure of their organizations. These conversations took place over connections that were often far from ideal, so you may hear a bit more noise than normal. For Branko Berkic, editor-in-chief of South Africa's Daily Maverick, the scale of the story that was about to break began to become clear as early as January. This is Branko recounting how he and the Maverick newsroom realized what was coming.
1: Funny thing, I was in, at the end of January, I was in Sundance. Sunday's festival in uh, in, uh, in Utah. <laughs> and uh, turns out that might have been one of the super spreader events. You know, a lot of people got very, very sick afterwards. And from there, believe it or not, I went to Rome. <laughs> so I really ticked all the boxes. And in Rome, I saw uh, a lot of, lot of Chinese people, you know, and everybody with masks and like in pure panic. And that it dawned on, to me, on to me it's like, okay, this is not, not easy. Um, to his Credit Minister of, um, of Health created this uh, this uh, group WhatsApp group for all the for all the all the editors and people in media, and uh, that group was there from either late December or early January. That they wouldn't be doing these things if it wasn't if this wasn't a, a serious problem. So that 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 was definitely the sign that something is uh, this is a serious thing because remember we had a. We had H1N1 before we had So we had the bird flu. We had the Ebola. And you, know, you, can't, you tell yourself, OK, we, we survived those things. nothing happened, this is going to be the same. But you know this was a uh, um, sort of, so we're talking about around 10, uh, 10 to February or so, that, that type. And then afterwards, it was um, just watching it and start stuff with more and more disbelief. And then we had a, the gathering, I think 6 to March. And the day before, there was the first com- confirmed case in Pazul Natal. And uh, the gathering, I basically almost had a feeling over of of the last supper. <laughs> it was uh, that type of, yeah, this is not going to go well. Soon afterwards, you know, um, I told the guys we need to do the, the newsletter on, on, on COVID-19. And in those days, we called it coronavirus. And... Uh, and they said, OK, let's do one, one a week. Uh, I said, no, no, we need to do every day. And they were like quite like surprised. And then we, we uh, settled on three a week. So every one of those steps were um, milestones. But let's put it this way. The, the moment when, when I said to the guys in the American Cities that this is a pandemic, which is a couple of days before that was uh, announced. And we need to do coronavirus um, every day, or almost every day in newsletters. That was the moment when I said, okay, you know, this is not gonna go away. Even then, I thought it's gonna go away in a couple of months because I reckon, you know, every flu goes, goes away in a couple of months. I did not, um, look, nobody really knew, apart from the guys in China and Trump's guys and a couple other people who were in business, they knew the nature of it, you know. So it, it's kind of difficult to make decisions like that, you know, but these are the the milestones.
0: Meanwhile, in Nigeria, an initially dismissive attitude that COVID would end up just being a problem for China, or at worst, Europe, was interrupted as reality caught up. This is Ajibola Amzad, editor at the International Center for Investigative Reporting.
2: You know, around December last year, that was when the news started breaking from from China, that there was one strange disease that was killing almost everybody. in And nobody knew that so much about it because, I mean, China is um, thousands of uh, miles away. So it wasn't really a big uh, story until we started hearing that, oh, the disease has moved away from China to some other places outside China and then to America and then to Europe. And still, yeah, it's it's still the thing of the Europe, the white different black ones are not going to be affected after all. So let them deal with their problem. So, but lo and behold, the new style featuring that this is actually going to be in Africa. And then that was why Uh, Most newsroom around here started getting worried that this may actually be the end of it for all of us. And in Nigeria, for instance, when I think in February, February, in February or March, when the first uh, case hit Lagos, that was when everybody woke up to the root shock.
0: In South Sudan, a similar belief that the country would be an exception was shattered as cases multiplied. Isaac Kenyu was program manager at Top of FM community radio station in the capital, Juba, when the scale of the story started to become clear.
3: First of all, there, there was that uh, uncertainty regarding uh, the disease. There are a lot of rumors, some misinformation regarding the disease. So um, we, it, it was something that we could not really envision that it will be the way it is right now because um, at first, uh, I mean, since it it started in China and then went to Europe and U.S., so uh, the the information is like, okay, this is a a disease that affects people in colder areas. So, considering that our country here is so warm, so... uh, it means um, probably we might not get it. So we woke up clearly uh, to the reality that this is a disease that goes beyond the cold weather when uh, Sudan confirmed, Uganda confirmed, Kenya confirmed, and then so okay, now if these ones can confirm, then it means it's a disease that will definitely reach us.
0: For Isaac's newsroom, COVID meant a number of immediate challenges to the practical work of news gathering and some low tech solutions. Uh,
3: journalists were asking a lot of questions now how do I do in- interviews? How do I mean, what happens when uh, I mean, does it mean I should not go out and conduct interviews because, because it involves coming closer to someone, holding a, a recorder, and you know. And then the also taking in consideration the cultures we have here. Um, at least you must uh, shake somebody's hand, and if you don't shake somebody's hand, then uh, you are not welcomed. So that culture was still there. Now, how do we tackle this? It became really, really tough. We talked to some other colleagues. I had uh, I had some friends. We were in a certain. Uh, training together in Uganda. And uh, I I reached out to them to ask how they are managing their their newsroom and um, they, dis- they yeah, they s- decided to, to tell us about how they have sent some people home and they, they work from home and you know uh, stuff like that but um, it became very difficult because for us first of all we were we are a new radio station the radio was open in 2018 and uh, we don't have resources like other established media houses we were so fixed so when we decided that we are to send people home and people work from home it would become so 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 difficult to 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 really get the stories out there. So what we devi- I mean, we devised um, a, a, a plan where uh, we bought uh, call credit, and uh, I would be the only one uh, together with the the, the the editor remaining in the in the session. So the, the we, did that we only direct. So no editorial meetings now. We only direct. Uh, People from their fields to go to a certain location to come with um, uh, stories, and then when you come with your stories, you will have to drop it somewhere. And it it was so hectic, but uh, that's that's the only way we decided to tackle them, and then also put uh, put on these uh, the 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 guidelines that we were given, and that's how we we tried uh, to at least follow the the instructions from
0: the World Health Organization and the Ministry of Health. For Ajibola and the Center for Investigative Reporting, the newsroom quickly pivoted to being virtual.
2: WhatsApp is a big thing in Nigeria. We use WhatsApp for sharing some of the news of the day. If somebody is going to be assigned to a particular story, so we have WhatsApp group. And uh, we have different groups like that. So we have the WhatsApp group for the data people. We have the group for the social media. We have the group for the IT. And then we have the group for the newsroom. And then we have the group for the entire organization where if you want everybody to be part of a discussion, there is a, so WhatsApp, it's a very, very good uh, uh, tool that we use to communicate. And our editorial meeting, we use uh, Skype uh, a lot. Zoom wasn't very popular in the, uh, the earlier phase. <laughs> so just later, everybody was talking about Zoom, 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 Zoom. So at that initial stage, we set up the Skype uh, meeting. And that's how we hold our editorial meeting on a weekly basis. It's just the way we used to do it before. Nothing has really changed, except that we're not meeting physically.
0: In South Africa, Daily Maverick found itself unexpectedly fortunate as past decisions left them well adapted to a world of distant working.
1: In 2014 and 15, we didn't even have money to, to actually rent offices. So um, instead of retrenching people, we, we retrenched our office. So um, in those two years, we've proven that they can exist without uh, office, but um, um, as a result, we became feral, And it was very difficult to to punch us back into the office. So as of 2016, we had a full, we had offices in Durban and and Cape um, Town, but it was difficult to to punch us back into push us into back into it. I still to this day I'm struggling to go to the office and spend the whole day in the office. And um, so then what happened is, as COVID arrived, we just went our old ways. That we, <laughs> we got used to it, you know what was actually uh, incredible was the explosion of uh, of um whatsapp and zoom and and Hangout. so we just you know at 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 at, at uh, literally at the strike of a, of a heartbeat, we managed to uh, reorganize everything and just uh, continue doing things without being present in each other's presence funny enough is that the end up we worked actually much harder than normal because the situation was so, so dire, and the country needed to know more than anything else.
0: So we ended up really working hard. In all three countries, the challenges of adapting newsroom practices to the realities of COVID were accompanied with exceptional audience growth as people turned to news media to help them navigate what was happening. This is Ajibola.
2: The traffic for our website really went up during the COVID period. We had more readers during the COVID uh, period. And the question we're asking ourselves, uh, where are these people coming from? Where were they before and all that?
0: In South Africa, Branco described a similar picture. So we, we did we did drop a bit we are now on, we were
1: four and a half million, we are now three and a half million. So so it's it's stable there. So which is basically we jumped um, Good 80% since since uh, February, instead of 120%. But we we still very in a very good
0: spot. Meanwhile, for Top FM in Juba, a growth in audience numbers also led to increased practical engagement with the radio station.
3: One clear shift in audience behavior was increased engagement uh, through phone calls and SMSs uh, when the, the, the disease was announced. That's mainly because they want to get the new directives uh, uh, on how to stay safe and um, what the disease is all about. Because. Uh, we uh, they, almost everyone is grim about it we don't know what what it does how it affects people and so everyone uh, i mean many people uh, really wanted to get the directives and then we were at the forefront of, uh, together with some other media houses so they were looking towards to towards um getting those directives and um so uh, they were also voicing their concerns and also voicing their frustrations on the way government has, is handling them so yeah there was an increased audience uh, participation in uh, after the, the the announcing of uh, the the disease within the country
0: In all three countries, the economic effects of the pandemic have been strongly felt. News organisations, like many other enterprises, have struggled to stay open in the face of revenues drying up. Here's Branco describing the extent of the problem for media companies as it happened in South Africa.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, you've got your, your fixed costs, and uh, if your commercial, commercial, fully commercial operation, if your commercial, you know, taps run dry, just like what do you do? You know, so. Um, most of them had to had to cut their costs tremendously. Some of them had to close down, close down institutions, close down titles. It's 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 a it's a, a, a bloodbath. We lost more than eight hundred jobs out of five thousand in the media in South Africa in uh, in the last six months, which is which is a terrifying number. Which is really something that uh, I I hope the, the the industry survives. I'm not sure that will honestly. So uh, again. The, the bigger you were the bigger your 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 fixed costs the more dependent you were on a, on a physical distribution in bigger trouble you were and it's uh, you know it's not about it does not show that, that somebody was a bad business person or whatever else because pandemic is above our pay rate it's uh, some, something that you know we, we you you may plan for it but you never know what's going to happen it's it's not that uh, these people were good business people and we were bad. it's just uh, we we were lucky. Our costs were re- relatively low, and we had some we had some we had some um, something stashed away on, on accounts, and uh, we had space to, to 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 be imaginative because you know we didn't have to uh, retrench anybody. We didn't have to worry about those things. You know when you're an executive and you need and you're told that you need to cut twenty percent of your of your of your costs. It just—it's very difficult to to go into publishing and think about publishing when you actually have to ruin some people's lives. So it's, it's really—it's really difficult to 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 maintain motivation and to maintain commitment, and, and to be honest, to stay sane in 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 in, in, a, in a such a horrifying
0: moment. Yeah. In South Sudan, the effects on top of M's operations have been no less severe. We were 19
3: staff at that point uh, before the the, 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 the the corona virus began. but uh, when it was announced that companies even cut their advertisings and business was not even coming into the radio station. so there was a lot of downsizing that happened. from 19 we were reduced to six staff only working for the radio That's, that, that, that shows the toll economically that uh, the radio faced.
0: In Nigeria, similar dynamics have been at play for commercial news operations. For those relying on grant funding or other non-commercial sources of revenue, the economic effects of COVID have landed somewhat more softly for now, though with effects on the kinds of reporting being focused on.
2: So I'm aware that uh, about three or four newsroom in Nigeria now have either, you know, cut down the salary and some have had some of their staff to go. And I'm talking about big newsrooms. So in our newsroom, our newsroom is not as big as those ones. So we are not asking anyone to go yet. And uh, that is also because uh, the funding that we have uh, was able to keep us working even till now. And I think we're a little bit more creative in our way by setting up a, a different uh, units, a fact-checking unit. So the fact-checking units that we set up uh, also allowed us to be able to access some funding from uh, some international organization, like uh, I think uh, IWPR also. So that money helps us to also be able to continue doing uh, our fact-checking.
0: journalists have found themselves under increasing personal and professional pressure as they navigate increased workloads on top of the anxieties of everyday life. This is Ajibola on Life in the Newsroom. I will speak for myself now and some of the reporters in my newsroom.
2: Uh, One would think that, okay, because uh, the COVID has made everybody to stay at home, so we have less work to do. But I tell you, that was not the case. in case, In fact, I could tell you that that was the most challenging period that I had this year because stories, were still, were still producing stories. Our reporters were still producing stories, like I said, because of different uh, tools that we're using to get uh, information. So we're still producing stories and as we're sending in stories, I need to be, you know, going after, I mean, going over every single story. So. There was no even time for my work. I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night and I started totally waking, I mean, waiting for me. So it was just like, we're just like walking around the crowd. So being at home uh, did not really stop people from working. And now, when you now had that to the, the fear of unknown, the fear of So what's going to happen? Are we still going to be able to, what if, this pandemic extends beyond normal. Are we still going to be able to earn our salary? Are we still going to be able to access the normal life? Are we still going to be able to do things the way we do it? And all those, plus the pressure of work that you're doing because information was still coming and we're processing those information. So it was too much uh, for many of us in the newsroom. So by the time we finally resume, uh, and what people were asking for leave. <laughs> people wanted to leave. can we just have leave so that we can now go and rest? Because being at home did not mean resting for any of us.
0: In South Sudan, the dynamics have been similar, with many journalists now being driven out of the profession entirely in order to make ends meet.
3: Honestly, many, um, may, 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 I mean, most of the journalists really were affected by uh, the changes, you know, uh, they used to a trend where trend where at least, um, you know, you can get your stories and now you, newsrooms are also very strict. They want you to get a particular, I mean, at least a story or two stories, other media houses, four. So it becomes very difficult um, going out. And at that time, it, it really affected most where people have to do more than... Uh, more than uh, usual to, to get, uh, they have to put more than usual efforts to, to, to get stories. And that kind of um, gave them that physical fatigue, that, um, uh, well, uh, that burnout, uh, many get burnouts um, burn and it really affected them in that way but that is not the only thing the economical aspect of it because most most journalists were laid off because of this in, in, in a way of uh, downsizing and uh, they and yet there are no jobs many organizations closed so it, it became very very difficult for journalists to to survive so i uh, i was passing around um, uh, the, the, the the city uh just some three weeks ago i found uh, 11 of the journalists that i knew prominent journalists riding uh, you know these uh, border borders others, borders are these motorcycles that used to carry people you know for money so those are the ones who could have those access but there are others who could sell things on by the roadside or you know it becomes difficult so that kind of have a, a serious effect on It had a serious effect on the journalists and still have has a serious effect on the journalists Uh, economically. That is it, and then physically they get uh, they are worn out because you have to do more than enough more than uh, more than what you used to do.
0: Compounding these stresses on journalists even further is a growing concern about how much longer newsrooms can continue operating in such attenuated ways. Look, we don't know how long this is going to last. The
1: massive issue is here: is that how is this affecting mental health of our journalists? Um, we we have um, we have somebody who is um, on the standby and has been um, incredibly helpful with several our journalists, who's providing help, you know, men, um, mental emotional help, um, psychiatrist, a really good one. And um, but that was a couple of months. If this, thing, if this thing goes longer, I don't know if somebody, if people are going to start cracking up. So it's not necessarily a question from your side, but this is almost like a warning. We need people to understand that we are probably at the 50% or at the half right now, at the midpoint. And it's going to take a long, long time to, and it's going to take a lot of energy to survive this. So that, that element of mental, Endurance—it's something that interests me a lot, um, and I really hope that um, it works out because the people need to understand. You know, people—I don't know if you've seen that Czech Republic—they had a four and a half thousand cases yesterday. They go down in you know, like a total total lockdown. Why? Because they were incredibly good in the beginning and they had enough lockdown, but it, it was good, it was great, and then they dropped drop the, the the lockdown and. And they went back like it, it never existed. And uh, so can you imagine now, after six, seven months of this, you go back into lockdown. So can you imagine the mental toll on people? in the, in a tricks. So it's just, I don't know how we, I don't know how the, the population and the journalists, everybody is going to survive. And especially if they start losing their jobs and not having enough, enough food on the table.
0: This episode was recorded and edited by Richard Stubart. Bobby Zelizer is the director of the Center for Media at Risk. Learn more at www.ascmediarisk.org.